The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to Amazon Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're going to do a deep dive into one of the largest and fastest growing channels in e-commerce and beyond, Amazon. Each day this week, we're going to publish an episode that discusses what you need to know about launching, scaling, and optimizing your brand's presence on Amazon. Joining us today again is Adam Weiler, the founder of Sunken Stone, which is a performance-based Amazon channel management agency that is the premier channel partner with over 10 years of experience helping e-commerce companies create sustainable success selling on Amazon. So far this week, we've talked to Adam about the general landscape of Amazon, how to get a store set up. And today we're going to talk about some of the available pricing and operational levers there are to get your Amazon store humming. Here's the second installment of Amazon Week with Adam Weiler from Sunken Stone. Adam, welcome back to Amazon Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me. So in our last episode, we talked a lot about the competitive landscape of Amazon and how for e-commerce brands, it is basically a must-have to have a listing on Amazon because your potential customers are going to be doing their product research and their price comparison on Amazon because it's the universal hub for shopping. Talk to me about some of the pricing and operational levers. We mentioned that you have to be very careful with who you give your product to because they can undercut your price. And then all of a sudden you're playing the margin game with your suppliers. What are some of the pricing and operational levers that you think make an impact for e-commerce players on Amazon? So once we get a product live and we're fully built out, we've got great images, we've got great copy, then we turn to our quote unquote marketing levers. And these are broken out into advertising, which we'll get to operations, content, price, and call it ranking initiatives. Price and operations really help out a ton and drive and move the needle on Amazon. So high level, we're looking at A-B testing pricing, and we can dive into that. We're looking at temporary price reductions like lightning deals and deals of the day. But then also promo codes and coupons, best deals, and also promotions on other places once you have these deals to kind of amplify the effect. And those are the pricing initiatives. And then for operations, we're looking at multi-packs and bundling, especially if you have a lower priced item. 
We're looking at international expansion, and then we're looking at taking our product to other channels as well. You have some inventory, let's expand beyond Amazon to other e-commerce marketplaces. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the pricing that you mentioned. It sounds like, A, there's setting what your price should be in the marketplace to make sure that you're competitive against not only your suppliers, potentially, which we talked about in our last episode, but also competitive with your real competition, people that are selling similar products. Once you've established that, you mentioned that there's a handful of sale-type opportunities. What's the rule of thumb for when you should be a sale? How do you figure out what the volume would be? Just give me the lay of the land in terms of what are the best opportunities for giving a discount? And should you artificially raise the price of your product and then lower it with some sort of lightning dealer's sale? Good question. And good on you for knowing that advanced tactic right there. It's not my first rodeo, Adam. (laughs) You must have some retail experience. Actually, the reason why I know the artificially raising your price and the discounting it trick is because that was the strategy for Groupon. To get on Groupon five years ago when it was the most popular thing in the world, you had to discount your products by 50%. Well, nobody wants to take a 50% margin cut. So you just raise your prices for a month and then go to them and, and sell the discount. So it was not originally my idea or specifically an Amazon strategy. But talk to me a little bit about what's the right way to do pricing and how to think about discounting. There's general rules of thumb, like we'll usually start with MSRP. What's that product being sold at in other places on the internet? What's it being sold at on the company's website? What's the product being sold at in retail? We typically want to start around there. What we find is if we're able to bump the price up a little bit, typically because the product's not on Walmart or other big marketplaces, if it is, it's a little bit harder. But if it's not, we'll bump the price up a little bit and actually use that extra margin to put directly into advertising. If we can get an extra 2 or $3 per product that we can then spend on maybe 5 or 10 clicks nowadays, we'll end up ahead at the end of the day. So higher is better if you can get it out of the marketplace. And obviously, we're testing everything. We're looking at conversion rates. We're looking at search term rankings, and we're looking at impressions on the products day over day, week over week, and month over month. So essentially, you're balancing the volume that you're going to show up for in search queries and basically how you're going to be positioned against the rest of the marketplace with what your margins are going to be. Sounds like a classic e-commerce problem. Mm -hmm. And if it's a premium product or a good product, so Ben's Luxury Coffee, you're doing great marketing. You've got a great Instagram presence already. You've got influencers talking about it that's going to be able to withstand a price bump. Like It's going to be able to withstand a higher price increase than if you're selling a commodity product in a commodity marketplace. So you bring up an interesting point about the value of brands, where if there is brand recognition, then consumers can rationalize a higher price point because they're buying essentially authority and perceived quality. Do you feel like when e-commerce players are selling on Amazon that the brand matters as much as it would in other places? I'll give you an example. I'm shopping for Hanukkah gifts for my son. It's the holiday season and I went to go buy a fire truck toy. 
And the top listing on Amazon is a no-name brand I've never heard of. And I was going to buy it until my sister said, no, 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 the best toy for fire trucks is the one from Mattel or a brand that you would recognize. Mm -hmm. If I went to a toy store, I would go and pick up the one from Mattel. If I'm on Amazon, I'm going by what the first ranking is and looking at customer reviews. Do you feel like brands are less valuable on Amazon than they would be in other places? Well, if you're Mattel, no, because I still think you're going to sell the same amount. But if you're that no-name fire truck brand, you can't raise your price to match Mattel. No one's going to buy you if you're the same price as Mattel. So you do have to compete on price if you're that fire truck brand. There's only so much you can show in eight images and some description that's going to convince someone to go against 30 years of Mattel brainwashing. It's called branding. Yes, I know. As marketers, we call it branding. <laughs> but that Mattel price delta, they're probably made in the same factory. Once they're done with Mattel and putting the label on there, they run this guy's product. But on Amazon, this guy has to compete on price and use all the pricing levers. This really is getting into a economic theory question of the value of brands. But what you're saying is the smaller vendors, the non-branded vendors have to compete on price. So they're going to win business by lowering their price and taking lower margins. But then doesn't that incent the branded companies to lower their margins, therefore diminishing the value of the brand? Well, I think there's also a third player, one of these quote unquote challenger brands where they're not a Mattel, but they're not a no-name fire truck either. I'll give you an example. There's the show on, I think it's on Amazon called Fireman Sam. And so there could be a Fireman Sam branded fire truck and a Mattel branded fire truck. Amazon would own the fire truck Sam brand. So it would likely show up first in all of the listings because it's Amazon's in-house brand. But to me, that is an example of a challenger brand that is not an established toy manufacturer. Exactly. And Mattel is spending billions of dollars or at least hundreds of millions on marketing a year. And these challenger brands are spending millions or maybe even hundreds of thousands on marketing, but getting that premium price in. So that's where a brand, especially if you're an e-commerce brand, this is where you need to be. You can't just compete on price. You should have a premium pricing, but then use that delta to spend on marketing, to spend on YouTube, to spend on influencers. Interesting. So let me just recap for a second. I think that we've said is in terms of pricing, and we'll get into operational levers as well. The main thing to think about is where you're positioned in the marketplace. Are you a brand leader? Are you a challenger brand? Or do you not have a brand? And that should influence your pricing strategy. You might want to set your price point lower if you are an unbranded product as opposed to if you are a challenger brand, maybe you come up with a premium level price, but you put your product on some sort of sale or deal to provide some value. And if you're a branded player, then you can set what the market is and hope that your brand has enough strength to carry the day when somebody's making their purchase decision. Perfectly put. And to roll into that lightning deal or temporary price reduction, if you're that challenger brand with the premium price, you can now use all those levers because 20% off of your premium price might be still profitable or at least break even versus 20% off of your lower commodity price was negative. So that lever isn't available to you. Right. So talk to me about some of the operational levers. You mentioned that there were a couple different ways outside of just your pricing to drive value. What are the operational levers that you advise your clients to use? 
Well, number one, especially if you're on Amazon, keeping stuff in stock, and I have to stress this, this is the number one operational lever, just keeping things in stock at the right levels. So if you're selling 10 a day, use software, use spreadsheets, however you do it, don't go out of stock because once you go out of stock, you don't exist. Whereas if you're on your e-commerce site and you go out of stock, you could still take orders and ship them a couple of days later or a week later and people are used to it. But if you go out of stock and you're ranking number one for premium coffee and you go out of stock on that because you had a sale or you got mentioned on a website, you will fall in the search results and it's going to set you back weeks or months even. So number one operational tool, stay in stock, whatever you have to do. That's an interesting difference between other e-commerce channels and Amazon is that your listing presence is actually determined by whether you have inventory or not, as opposed to other e-commerce channels. You could still have your listing and take orders, even if they can't be shipped in real time. Mm -hmm. It used to be where you could send in unlimited, so you only had to worry about running out, not sending in too much. And now what that led to was some of the 6 million Amazon sellers sending in two years worth or three years worth of inventory, clogging up their warehouse with a bunch of spatulas and garlic presses and whatnot. So now they have limits on the max amount or they'll start charging you for that larger storage. Yeah, they charge you a storage fee. Exactly. And a long-term storage fee, which is thousands of dollars. So you want to get in the sweet spot of sending in enough to not go out of stock, but not too much where you're paying thousands of dollars of storage fees. Outside of managing your inventory to make sure that you're having enough product available and that your listing is present, what are some of the other operational levers that really impact e-commerce sellers' business on Amazon? Yeah, you want to take a look at multi-pack or bundling. So especially if you have a lower priced item, let's say you have a smaller coffee and it sells for $9.99. If you sell that on Amazon, you're going to break even, maybe even lose a little bit after advertising costs and storage fees and shipping. But now if you put three or four of your different coffees in a pack and you sell that for 30 or $35, number one, you've increased your average order value. So now it's a profitable sale. Number two, you've gotten people to buy something that maybe wasn't before. Now it's a giftable item. And then three, you've also taken up screen real estate. That is a great lever to use, especially for lower priced items. We even do it on higher priced items. Take products that sell well in a single pack and then bundle them into three packs or five packs or kind of mix and match the best sellers from brand. Interesting. So there's three reasons why doing the multi-pack sale is valuable. First off, you're able to sell multiple products at once. So higher average selling price. Second, because the average selling price is higher, the percentage of fees that Amazon is taking is lower and you only have to pay for the shipping once as opposed to multiple times. And then third, there's actually a marketing benefit in terms of the real estate on the page. So if you're listed top, you're pushing all of the other vendors down. That's kind of like a uh, search engine marketing strategy. Make sure that your listing is as big as possible. So you just dominate the whole page. Exactly. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other smaller ones too. But if you could take up that screen real estate for premium coffee searches, you are in a winning position. And Amazon will reward you for that. So if you just had one space there, but it was doing really well, now you have a couple other listings, you could potentially dominate the entire above the fold for some keywords. Now, when you do the multi-packs, do you have to discount your pricing? If I sell one product for $10 and I'm going to sell a suite of three, 
can I sell them for 30 and just have it be buying in bulk or do I actually have to discount the price? Either or. You'd be surprised sometimes if you do the math on certain SKUs, if you look at like Dove soap or something and someone's selling a bar for a dollar, they'll sell 12 bars for $15, which doesn't make any sense, but people will still buy it because that's the power of Amazon. The customer is so trained and they trust it so much. Obviously, you don't want to rip people off and that's other people's business model, not ours. We try to give at least the same price, if not a little bit of discount. But because the channel, because Amazon is so trusted, the pricing almost doesn't matter on that. It's interesting that people in this case would be buying utility, right? Instead of buying one bar of soap and having to place 15 orders, they're going to buy one order for 15 bars and then pay the $15. So they're paying the premium to order in bulk, which is kind of the reverse of what you think it would be. Exactly. The reverse Costco model. Any other operational levers or pricing tricks that you could recommend for e-commerce? International expansion and channel expansion, I would say. So once you're set up in the US and everything's going well, you've got good reviews, you're introducing new products and they're catching on. I would take a look at the UK and Germany and EU market. There's less competition over there. If your product translates pretty well, if it's pretty universal, I would take a look over there. There's some good potential and it's only going to get more competitive. Okay. So there's the option for international expansion. And one of the beauties of Amazon is to have the ability to not have to deal with the logistics of shipping and order fulfillment. That's something that FBA fulfillment by Amazon takes care of. So it sort of lowers the hurdle to be able to open up new markets internationally. Lots of interesting things to think about in terms of pricing and operations, and that's a good place for us to land the plane on this episode. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Adam for joining us. If you'd like to learn more of Adam's tips to building an effective Amazon strategy, we're going to publish an episode every day this week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning talking about how to scale your Amazon store's presence. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Adam, you can find a link to his bio in our show notes, or you could visit his website, sunkenstone.com, S-U-N-K-E-N-S-T-O-N-E.com. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries and transcripts of all of our episodes. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we built benjshap.com slash question where you could submit your questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My personal handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to the rest of Amazon week, we've got some great episodes lined up. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.